0: Good morning, everybody. We're going to be reading in Ruth, chapter one today. And uh, if you won't tell, that I have a digital device up here. You know, don't, don't tell anybody that. I'm, I'm actually reading the Bible off a of digital device today. <laughs> All right, Ruth chapter 1. Let's go ahead and start. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife, and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were, excuse me, let me pronounce this properly, Meluun and Kiluun. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Meluun and Kiluin died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she sent out... Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother in law, and Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where I go, or excuse me, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there "'Will I be buried? May the Lord do so to me, "'and more also, if anything but death parts me from you.' "'And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, "'she said no more. "'And so the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And "'When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. "'And the women said, "'Is this Naomi?' "'She said to them, "'Do not call me Naomi. "'Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. "'I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty.' Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Lord, bless us as we read your word today, as we study your word, as we desire to know you more. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, reveal your heart, and Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, open our minds to your truths. Father, I pray that you would bless me as I speak, that your words would go forth, and Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord Jesus, we do love you, and we praise your name. Amen. Ruth is uh, kind of an interesting book. At first glance, you might uh, think of it as almost a hallmark story, because it has, uh, you know it's fun to read, uh, for those who, of you who have read it, uh, sorry to spoil it for those who haven't, but it has a happy ending. It, it does end happily ever after. Um, and like I said, it kind of follows a hallmark storyline in that you have, you know, the, the mother-in-law who's returning back to a town. Um, you have the, the guy who's in the town. You have a girl. They get introduced and, you know, romance ensues and so forth. And so you might just look at the story of Ruth in such a light. It is enjoyable to read. But keep in mind that uh, Ruth is included in the Bible. The Bible is God's word. God has a purpose for sharing this story with us. And God's amazing how he uses uh, real people, real events, people's lives to bring us encouragement and to guide us into a closer walk with him. And so as we go through Ruth, uh, I hope that you'll see some of the depth that's there. Uh, we won't be able to plumb the depths fully, but there, there is a surprising depth in the book of Ruth. And so there are a few things that as we read, some of these books, as they're written, the authors kind of assume that you will be familiar with the context. You will be familiar with the surrounding events and so when they kind of start right in it's with the assumption that you know what they're talking about for instance it says uh this was the time of the judges what does that bring to mind well if you turn back a few pages you'll go into the book of judges uh and you think okay so it was the time of the judges and really what the author is doing is is setting a stage and letting you know that this was actually a very dark time in the history of Israel uh, because the time of the judges and also a famine was mentioned uh, in this book. And famine in the Old Testament was always connected with the unfaithfulness of Israel. When Israel was unfaithful, God As he said he would, in Leviticus and other parts in Scripture, God would punish the people with either a famine or wars or something that would come against them. And it was not only a punishment, but it was supposed to make them cry out to him. It was supposed to make them turn their eyes away from the idols that they were following and turn their eyes back to God. And so when the author says, it was the time of the judges... Again, he's setting the stage. It's kind of a dark time in Israel's history. And there was a famine in the land. And it says, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And you might think, okay, that makes sense. There was a famine in the land. I mean, obviously they had no bread. They had to go find food elsewhere. But again, that statement alone carries with it much weight, and for somebody in Israel at the time, when they heard that statement, they would go, ooh, that's not a good thing. Because if you think about it for a minute, what about all of the other people in Bethlehem? Did they also leave? Most of them stayed. To leave the land of promise was not a good thing. God commanded his people stay in the land, cultivate faithfulness, And I will bless you. And so to leave the promised land was to leave behind God's promises, was to essentially say, you know what, God, what you've got is great and wonderful, but I think I need to go take care of this myself. And that should kind of bring to mind a couple of stories in the Old Testament. Abraham comes to mind when he went down to Egypt due to a famine. Uh, That didn't go over really good for him. Uh, There were a lot of things that happened that weren't great and fantastic. Uh, He lied about his wife being his wife. His wife got taken by somebody else, and they had to go through that whole process of, yeah, she's actually my wife, and sorry, and, you know. It it was a big mess. Anytime somebody leaves the promised land, the promise that God has set forth for them, uh, and tries to do it on their own, ends up in trouble, usually. And such was the case for... Uh, this man and his family. I will mo- I will mention that much like the book of Esther, God is not directly referenced or uh, talked to, like He is in other books of the Bible. So if you know if you go into First uh, Second Samuel, God is always being called upon. The people are always calling calling upon God, or at least some of the people. Uh, there's always somebody who's, who's calling out to God. And there's that, that communication between that person or those people and God. And you don't see that, really, in this book. Uh, you don't see that in the book of Esther. Why? Both are actually set in different times in Israel's history when they had wandered away from God. There was no connection between them and God in that sense. Uh, in the book of Esther, the people went into exile because... They wandered away from God. In the book of Ruth, kind of the same type of thing. Again, so in the time of the judges, it's reminding us that Israel did not seek God as a whole. And so you will see unfaithfulness uh, in this story. But the amazing thing about God is that regardless of the unfaithfulness of his people, God is still faithful, God is still gracious. God still has a plan and still guides and directs regardless. All right, so I entitled the slide Leaving the House of Bread. The Title, Return to the House of Bread, and then, of course, this slide, Leaving the House of Bread. You might think, well, what's, what's the House of Bread referring to? Bethlehem is actually translated as the House of Bread. Uh, kind of an interesting, um, what would you say, an interesting twist in the story? Because this family is leaving the House of Bread to go look for bread. And where are they going to look for this bread? They're leaving the Promised Land. You can kind of see some of the, the parallel, the... Uh, The story that's being set up. They're leaving the house of bread. They're leaving the promised land. They're leaving what God has supplied for them to go find bread on their own. And where do they go? This family of the Ephrathites. And by the way, that that phrase, the Ephrathites, means that they were uh, native to Bethlehem. They weren't just transplants. They were actually native to Bethlehem. So they were familiar with uh, of course, God's law, God's promises, and they were familiar with uh, just everything surrounding the house of bread and, and the promises that went with it. Um, and where do they go, this family? <clears throat> they run to Moab. And you might think, well, okay, so, but there was bread in Moab, so like, is there, is there a problem with that? Yeah, there actually is a big problem with that. Not only have they left the promised land, And they have not turned back to God. They have not called out to God. They've run to an enemy country. So Moab, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, Moab was a serious thorn. Actually, if you're just familiar with a good portion of the Old Testament, Moab was a serious thorn in the side of Israel. Uh, During the time of the Judges, Moab would do many raids upon the Israelite people. Uh, And so oftentimes the famine might be caused by the Moabite people as they would make their raid. And of course, Moab was also known for hiring Balaam, if anybody remembers Balaam, the guy who talks to his donkey. Um, Hired Balaam to go curse the Israelite people, and Balaam said, no, I can't do that. God said, I can't curse them. Uh, But... I can advise the king, for some, I can advise the king that, uh, the king of Moab, um, if you let your daughters intermarry with the Israelites, and if you let their daughters intermarry with you, you'll actually be able to control the Israelite people. You will begin to dilute their teaching. You'll be able to uh, begin brainwashing the people of Israel in order to follow your gods, your customs. And so Moab was was not a good place to go. They had many, many unhealthy and very pagan uh, practices. And oddly enough, we are told a little bit later that the man's name was Elimelech, which means, uh, my God is king. It's kind of a sad thing for a man with that name to leave the promised land and... To try to do it on his own. And in really not to be too hard on a because I oftentimes walk in his shoes. It's very easy to do things on my own, to go over to Moab, which is really kind of a, uh, a parallel for the world. It's easy for me, a follower of God, to give in and begin to, uh, well, just give it a little bit, a little bit here and there, as you'll see. The, one of the words for uh, residing in Moab has with it a temporary connotation. So, uh, really, what Elimelech was saying is, let's temporarily go over to Moab. I plan to come back to the Promised Land, but let, let's temporarily go over to Moab and we'll get bread. We'll just, we'll just go over to get bread. We'll just be over there for just a little while. Anytime a phrase, as you're talking to God, well, I'll just, anytime that happens, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And I find myself doing that sometimes. I will get convicted about something. I'll, I'll be like, well, just, you know, I'll, I, just, I, I just need to be angry at that person for a little bit. Or, or I just need to, you know, Second, look, anytime we do that, we are standing on very dangerous ground. It reminds me of my kids when I tell them, hey, you know, don't, don't do that. Well, Dad, I just wanted to... And so Elimelech is saying, well, this, this is only temporary. Well, temporary sin is still sin. As it says in James 1.15... Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That is James one fifteen. So it's that it's that temporary sin that thought of well I'll just I'll just do it real quick, or I'll you know second look, or again, perhaps it wouldn't hurt just to just to get up to the edge. A lot of times we like to get right up to the edge and see how far we can go. It's. It's really interesting to, as I raise children, to see how much like them, to God, I am. Again, when I tell them not to do something, you can just see the turmoil. It's like, oh, but I really, really want to. And, and a lot of times there's this, well, well, really? Like, how, how close can we get? How close will you let me get before you say something? And so sometimes we do that to God. And that sort of thing, even if it isn't sin of itself, we are entertaining the temptation. And when you entertain a temptation, the next step is just to give in to the sin itself. We're told in Proverbs to keep our eyes fixed straight ahead, to not turn to the right or to the left, but to move on. And that means don't even look at it. Don't even go there. Don't even give way for temptation. Don't even give temptation away to get to you. Now, we are a fallen people. We sin. We have a very sinful nature. We are totally depraved at heart. And so, it doesn't take much for us to be tempted to do something that might appeal to us. And the key is to not just stop the temptation, but to turn our eyes to God, to respond to the temptation as Christ did in the wilderness when he was being tempted. Unfortunately, Elimelech did not. He took his family, and his temporary solution became permanent for him and for his sons. Elimelech died. And Naomi, this is where we begin to focus a little bit more on Naomi. And Naomi is now bereft of her husband. She's a widow. It's a sad thing. Her two sons, instead of going, you know what, let's go back home. Let's go back to the Promised Land. They decide to stay in Moab. Moab's kind of a cool place. It's got a lot of, uh, a lot of cool things available to them, uh, including nice-looking ladies. And so both of them got married to Moabite ladies. They were there for 10 years. That's a long time. They were there for 10 years, more than likely with the intent to stay permanently. And then both Naomi's sons died. And so now we have Naomi, who's bereft of her husband. She's bereft of her two sons. And you have uh, the two daughters-in-law who are now bereft of their husbands. It's something of a sad house. And Naomi, realizing that she is bereft of her family, she's in a foreign land. No I would imagine in her case, because she's an Israelite and if she is faithful to God, and she appears to have been faithful to God, she's going to be much like Lot in the the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, to where there's an inner turmoil of, I really don't want to be here. It's time for me to go home. And so Naomi says, okay, it's time for me to go, and she gets up to leave. And as she's headed down the road, her two daughters-in-law are with her and they have their interaction together, a very emotional interaction of saying goodbye. And it was actually customary back then for the person visiting to just say, okay, it's time for me to leave and get up and leave and actually start walking down the road. And then the, the family that they were with follows them down the road for a period of time uh saying their goodbyes and really that's just how it worked Uh, they would say their goodbyes as they walked down the road they would go a mile or so and then everybody would do a final goodbye family would would return the visitor would continue on that prevented the visitor from staying there permanently it was just a social thing that they did um Because there was that temptation a lot of times for a hosting family to retain the guest for a longer period of time than the guest wanted to stay. And so it it made it nice, it was socially nice to have the guest just get up and go, okay, you know what, I've overstayed my welcome, it's time for me to go and just start walking down the road. And so we kind of see that type of thing happening here. In the interaction between Naomi and her daughters-in-law, uh, is kind of interesting. They wanted to go to the promised land with her. But she tells them, you know what? No, you don't, you don't want to come with me. Go back. Go back to your mother's house. In other words, go back, get married again. You, guys are st- you both are still young. Uh, go find husbands. Go raise a family. Go back to your gods. Go back to the land of Moab. Moab. She even goes so far as to say that I'm too old to have children, as if that was maybe the connection, Uh, because again, there was that that practice of if a daughter-in-law lost her husband, she would wait for the next brother, and then would marry the next brother, and her thing was that, that, that custom can't take place here. That custom can't even take place here. I'm much too old. And really, what we're seeing is it was, we're getting kind of a peek into the psyche of Naomi right now because she's actually kind of lifting the veil and showing you that inside she's dealing with a lot of grief, a lot of bitterness, a lot of turmoil. In one sense, it's very self focused. Because she's, again, assuming that her daughters-in-law are with her simply for what they can get out of her. And she's like, you know what, I have nothing left. I'm empty. I'm old, I'm barren, I've lost everything. I'm in a foreign land, I don't want to be here. And I will even go so far as to say that even though these two women were in her house and were interacting with her daily, were her daughters-in-law, they were still Moabite women. They still had connection to the land of Moab. And so with all of her pushing, eventually Oprah goes, "You know what? You're right. I don't want to go with you." Take your finger. i to put it on verse 13, because we're going to come back to that verse. Again, this, we kind of dive into the psyche a little bit of Naomi. And it explains some of her interaction with people and why she did what she did. But for now, Orpah decides to go back. But Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. It's not just to her people, but she mentions to her gods. Again, because Moab is, they worshipped multiple gods. They were very pagan. And, again, we're kind of getting a look into Naomi's psyche. How she's viewing these two ladies. How she's viewing where she's at. Uh, It's very displeasing to her soul, to her spirit. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And here we get into the very famous statement that's oftentimes uh, read over and over again uh, in different settings, sometimes to the point to where you lose some of the meaning. But we're going to read it again. She said, where are we? For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do also to me and more so if anything but death parts me from you. In that statement, Ruth is not just saying that, you know what, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. Words are cheap. Ruth is actually making a pledge not only to Naomi, but she's making a pledge to God at this point. She's actually committing herself to the God of Israel and saying, I am going to forsake my family, my customs, my heritage, my homeland, and my gods that I grew up worshipping. I'm going to forsake all of that, and my desire is to know the God of Israel. That is why she says, your people shall be, shall be my people. Your people are under the promise of God. I want to be under that promise. She said, and your God will be my God. Not just, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself because this is actually a really good part. Not just, I'll follow you as you follow your God. She's actually adopting and saying, I wish to follow Yahweh. And in that verse, she says, May the Lord do so to me and more also. And Lord, by the way, is capitalized, which indicates the fact that she referenced him directly, Yahweh, by name, not just, not just generally, but directly. So Ruth is, is a fascinating person. And again, I jumped ahead a little bit. That was actually on the next slide. But... Um, go back to Naomi. I did want to ex- explain a little bit more about Naomi because in verse 19 the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem and when they came to Bethlehem the whole town was stirred because of them and the women of the town said and by the way this is probably more in whispers of hey is that Naomi? And why is this such a big deal? Well, because her and her husband and their family they left They went to Moab. It's kind of almost scandalous in one sense. They left the promised land and went over to Moab, the enemy country. And here comes Naomi back. But it's not just a matter of them returning back. It's just Naomi. And who's this person with her? Where is her family? And they said, is this Naomi? Now, can you imagine... As Naomi and Ruth are walking into town, let's rewind a little bit, as they're getting close to Bethlehem, let's do that, as they're getting close to Bethlehem, put yourself in the shoes of Naomi. Naomi grew up there. Again, she was an Ephrathite, which meant that she grew up in Bethlehem. She was a native of that country, of that town. And so there are memories attached. Everywhere she looks, there are memories attached. Her growing up, her childhood, her courting, her marriage. Imagine the dreams that she and her husband had. Raising children, she had two sons. They began to grow up there. They read the Torah in the local synagogue. So she had all of these remembrances as she's walking into town. Sights, smells. Who all, when you smell something... Your olfactory nerves trigger something in your memory. It can be totally unrelated. You, you will be walking through the store and maybe you'll smell brownies cooking for some reason uh, as the bakery is doing something. And just a certain scent, maybe a mixture of a few things that are cooking, it triggers something in your mind. And you suddenly are transported back in time maybe to your mom's kitchen or some such event. And so imagine as Naomi is walking down the road, the sights, the smells, the sounds, everything, it's all coming back. And we had already talked about how the fact that she was experiencing some bitterness. This helps explain her response. So as her and Ruth are now walking through the town, there's also maybe a little bit of embarrassment and shame mixed in because, I mean, after all, her and her family went to the enemy country. They are now back in town. Well, she's back in town by herself with her daughter-in-law, who is a Moabitess. And so as she's walking through town, she knows that people are talking. It's just one of those things. That it's weird how, you know... There are certain whispers you can hear louder than if somebody was shouting at you, and they hurt more than if somebody was shouting at you, because you know what the whisper means. So as, as they're walking through town, there's the whispers, there's a, the gasps, the pointing. Finally, somebody comes up to her, has either enough nerve or enough gall to come up and say, "Is, is that you, Naomi?" My goodness, it's been a while. Where's your family?" What happened? Did you go to Moab? How come you're back? All of these burning questions that with each question comes something that hurts because it's a remembrance, it's a reminder. And her response is, do not call me Naomi, which means bright. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. I had a family. And the Lord has brought me back empty. I have nobody. I have nothing. So why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? This is a very harsh response. Not only harsh to the individual, because if it was a, oh my goodness, Naomi, so good to see you. How are you doing? If it was that type of question, though, I kind of doubt it. But let's say it was. This is definitely a very harsh response, regardless. But it's also very harsh because, why? Because she's, she's saying, God has done this to me. Now, We could get, in one sense, kind of self-righteous and say, well, (laughs) actually, not. You see, because you and your husband went over to the land of Moab when you weren't supposed to. You left the land of promise when you weren't supposed to. So, I always hated this when I was a kid, and I find myself doing it as a father. I will say do not jump off the couch, you will get hurt. And then five seconds later, somebody jumps off the couch, and they get hurt. And they come to me, I hurt myself. And I have to say, okay, well, how did you hurt yourself? Well, I jumped off the couch. And unfortunately, my immediate response is, well, I told you to not jump off the couch. Exactly, this is why I said don't jump off the couch. This does not help anything. The child is still sitting there holding their foot going, yeah, I, I, I know, I know, I get it. So, we could do that to Naomi and say, Well, <laughs> you shouldn't have done that to begin with. But that really doesn't help the situation. Although, as somebody in Naomi's shoes, we're going to read in Lamentations a little bit uh, later. But in Lamentations, it talks about how, you know, if God afflicts us, we are to examine our hearts and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. And again, this, this affliction is not... You don't always get afflicted because of sin in your life. Let me, let me put it that way. God oftentimes brings trials our way in order to strengthen our faith. Uh, even when we do mess up, God uses those trials to strengthen our faith. But in this type of situation, uh, Naomi's response could have been a little bit more humble of, yes, You know, basically, we messed up, and we are experiencing the heavy hand of the Lord because we messed up. But instead, we see that Naomi is quite bitter. She is quite uh, angry in her heart. And at this particular moment in time also, again, that's why I paraphrased with, as she's walking through town, uh, she's also remembering everything. It's bringing afresh that grief that she has. It, it, It makes that grief hurt more. And so the worst thing you can do for somebody who's grieving is to (laughs) come up beside them like this and begin to ask a million questions, especially if those questions don't come from a sincere heart. And so her response can be understood and can be excused in some way. But again, it also gives us a glimpse into her psyche because, go back to verse 13, where she says to her two daughters-in-law on the road, know my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And unfortunately, her bitterness pushed Orpah away. Orpah could have followed her into the promised land. She could have brought her into the promised land and said, "You know what? Yeah. Our life in Moab was bad. We lost everything. But there's hope and promise in the promised land. Come with me." Instead, it was a bitter response of, "God has dealt horribly with me. God has let me down." Sometimes it does feel like God has it out for you, to where you just you have like trial after trial after trial and it's like, "Will this ever end?" And Job expressed pain like this, if you go to Job chapter 30, where he expressed a deep pain, deep anguish. He went through a lot. Job says in in chapter 30, God has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look away. You have turned cruel to me. The might of your hand, you persecute me. This is Job, talking to God. Now, for those who are familiar with the book of Job, and the reason I use this reference, is because Job, despite all he went through, never cursed God. This is not a curse to God. This is... Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what it feels like right now. Jeremiah in La- uh, Lamentations chapter 3 says some similar things where he expresses uh, anguish to the Lord. He expresses a, a frustration at the hurt and the pain. And in Psalm 55, 16 through 18, we are encouraged to express our heartache Our pain, our anger, disappointment, anything we are feeling, we are encouraged to express that to God. Why? Well, for one thing, God knows our hearts anyway. He knows what goes on in our minds and our hearts. And when you are honest and open with God, that's when God begins to work in your life. Because you have just poured it all out before him and said, Lord this is how I feel. I'm being honest with you right now. This doesn't make sense. I don't like it. And here it is. And when you do that, that shouldn't be the last thing you do. You should then listen to what God has to say. Because then he will speak. And he will begin to walk with you through that process until you understand the slide, I apologize. And so now we have returned to the house of bread. And this is where again, Naomi and Ruth, they've returned or rather, Naomi has returned to the promised land. And Ruth is with her. And I will say that as you look at the character of Naomi and as you, as you see how much she appears to have almost in one sense cursed God, she hasn't. She hasn't lost faith. She's just being honest. She's expressing a hurt. She's expressing her pain. But all the while, still relying on God's promises. How do I know that? She's returned to the land of promise for one thing. She wouldn't do that if she didn't have faith in God. I mean, sure, she could go back to what's familiar to her, but consider from her standpoint if that's all if that was the only reason she was going back, she probably wouldn't. Because she's gonna face what she just faced. There's gonna be people who whisper. She's going back without her family. It's a shameful thing. Why deal with that? She's already in Moab. Just stay there. Just assimilate into the, into the customs into the people there. That's what she could have done. But she didn't. She left. And she still talks about God. She still blessed her daughters in law by the name of the Lord, praising him. And so that shows you she still had a faith in God. She was still faithful to God. She was just expressing, this is where I'm at right now, though. And again, as you do that with God, God walks with you through that process and begins to change your focus. And you'll see Naomi's focus changing because it is very, like I said before, very self-focused at this time. She feels the grief and the pain, but then it begins to shift. Instead of being what she has lost, the fact that she is barren, it starts to shift to focus on Ruth and her well-being and as we turn our focus onto God as we go through trials and things it, it's very easy to become self-focused but as you turn your eyes to the Lord and you are again honest with him and lay that before him you'll find that he begins to turn your eyes from yourself and you start noticing people you start noticing you know what Maybe I should pray for that person. Because you feel a hurt, you can understand somebody else's hurt, and because God is alive in you, it sparks that response, that appropriate response of, you know what? I should pray for that person. I should reach out for that, to that person. Even if it's just because you know how to reach out to that person now. You could go up and just touch them on the shoulder. Sometimes that's all it takes. You don't have to say anything. Just, you're there. Because you know. Alright, so she is returning to the house of bread. And she's brought with her Ruth, who has made an open declaration of following God. And it's kind of interesting, as I did the study, it suddenly dawned on me that Ruth's response, like I said, I got a little ahead of myself, but it's okay, I'll tie it in. Ruth's response reminded me of John chapter 6, verse 68, where um, Jesus laid out a very strong statement. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you, know, you have no part in me. And many of the, the people, the disciples that were following Jesus, said, this is a hard statement. You know, who can take it in? And they left. And Jesus stood there, and he, he noticed the, the large group of people got smaller and smaller down to the tight-knit, little, tight-knit, tight-knit group, of 12 people, 12 guys standing there. And he said, um, how about you? You guys going to leave? And what was their response? What was Peter's response? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And really, Ruth's response is that also. You want me to go back to that? It's, it's empty. You've taught me about the God of Israel, and I know in him is eternal life. And so that is her response. I was curious to see what scripture Pastor Kevin was going to read this morning because we didn't uh, we didn't cor- collaborate or corroborate on anything. And he's told me before, if he's not given a scripture to read, he just lets the Lord lead him on the scriptures. And I thought it was quite interesting. He he read Romans chapter 5, which talks all about the grace of God. It talks about how while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we struggle against the Lord, God is still loving and gracious and kind. He still loves us. He still guides us. He still protects us. And you see that in the life of Naomi. Even though she experienced great hardship, even though her and her family went where they weren't supposed to go, God still used that. God is ultimately in control of everything. He had a plan for all of this. There was a plan for them going to Moab. What was that plan? Believe it or not, Ruth was that plan. God wanted them to go to Moab so that way Ruth would get attached to Naomi and Naomi would come back with Ruth to Bethlehem. Because, again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert Jesus' lineage traces back, his physical lineage, traces back to this lady, Ruth. And it, I remember the day it hit me. I was like, oh, well, wait a minute. Because as I was reading through the genealogy uh, you know, of, of Jesus, really the genealogy of, of either Joseph or Mary. And you get to the point to where it goes back to David and then Jesse and Obed and then Boaz, and they mention Ruth. Ruth is, is she an Israelite? She's a Moabitess. She's from an accursed people, really. An enemy people of God who vehemently opposed God and the people of Israel. But yet, God brought a person out of that into the family of God. Why? Again, really, this is an amazing story if you look at it in, in parallel, in comparison to uh, Our lives. We are the Gentile people that God has brought into his family. If you're not a Jew, if you're not from the Jewish race, then you're a Gentile. And back then, you weren't allowed access to God unless you became an Israelite. Through Christ, we have access to God. We as Gentiles, I'm a Gentile, I have no Jew in me. I'm a pagan, all the way. But God redeemed me just as he redeemed Ruth. And he was showing that it's not just for the Jews. It's going to be for all people. So God called Ruth from Moab. And God calls us today Come back to the house of bread. Don't wander. No need to go to Moab. Stay in the land of promise. Walk with me. Trust me. It was not an easy thing. It would not have been an easy thing for Elimelech to have trusted God during the time of a famine. It was not an easy thing for the people of Bethlehem to trust God in the time of the famine. But those who stayed in Bethlehem did. Because they trusted that, well, God will, God will provide. He will get us through. He will bring about his promises. And those promises are the same to us as well. If you don't know Jesus, he calls. Come to me. Taste and see that the Lord is good because guaranteed when when you really taste and see that the Lord is good you will want more and for those who who know Christ my encouragement is to walk with him through thick and thin be honest with him pour out your heart let him just get you through every day every moment of every day hold on to his promises because in the middle of strife, oftentimes that's all we have to hold on to. So, going back to the book of Ruth, her, uh, Naomi and her sons stayed in uh, Moab for 10 years until she heard that there was bread again in Bethlehem. It's a long time. That meant that the people in Bethlehem had to hold on for 10 years or thereabouts. It's not always a quick thing. There's no quick fix. It's a moment by moment, day-to-day struggle oftentimes, but when we walk with Christ, he gets us through. He gives us the strength we need. And even if we're pouring out what is anger in our hearts to him? Again, it's, it's still being honest. Be honest with God. You can tell him anything. We're told that God is called Abba Father. Or we call God Abba Father. That's daddy. I, I've, I've used this example before. So you have father... When I talk to my kids, don't jump on the couch. I'm father at that point. I'm standing up, and don't do that. Or go do this. Kind of the authority figure. But when I, when I get down on my knees, and I'm at their eye level, I become daddy. I become somebody they can run up to and throw their arms around. It's kind of interesting. We also... Uh, as many of you know, uh, got a puppy recently. And he's attached himself to me for some reason. And so it's kind of my job to, I get up in the morning, I, I take him out to do his thing. Um, and there are times where I'll, I'll take him out and I have to go do something else and I come back. And if he's across the yard, he'll see me and... I'll I'll stand there, and he kind of hesitates, like, did I do something wrong? He's still learning things. So we are going through a training process. Until I bend down a little bit, and I call him. And then he gets all excited, and he comes running at me. And that is how God is to us. God is certainly authoritative. He is all-powerful. But he was willing to come to this earth, live as a human, and then die in our place so that we may have life in him forever. And when he rose again, he assured that we had life in him forever. And we can call out to him Abba, Father, Daddy, take me into your arms, hold me tight. I spend too much time trying to do things on my own and I keep getting reminded that I need to call out to God more. I need to spend more time calling out to him and holding on to him. So that is my encouragement for you this week. Hold on to Christ this week. Hold tightly to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that, uh, Lord, your word is honest. Uh, and all of the characters that you focus on, Lord, throughout Scripture. We get to see their honest responses, their honest emotions, their honest thoughts, because we are like them, Lord. They were not perfect, and we are certainly not perfect. Help us, Lord Jesus, this week. Give us strength. strength Strengthen our hearts draw us closer to you. I pray that we would call out to you daily. Abba, Father. That we would run to you. That we would turn over every care we have to you, Lord Jesus, and we would leave our cares there. That you would strengthen us again, Lord, to walk closely with you and to be faithful to you. I pray that you would feed us daily from your bread and that we would seek your face. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we do praise your name. Amen.